This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network. Welcome to another episode of NewsHounds Podcast. I am your host, Ryan Pitkin, and I have two guests here with me today, both representing Hopeway, uh, a mental health facility here in Charlotte, and we're going to get into a lot about what that is, but first I want to bring you guys on and and check out your story. So we have Dr. Allison karaski Maisie. How's it going, Allison? Great. Thank you for having us today. I practice that name a lot of times, so I'm just going to go with Allison from here on out. That's all right with you. Sounds good. Awesome. And we also, he, you are CEO and Chief Medical Officer at Hopeway. And we also have Director of Veteran Services at Hopeway, Dr. Justin Johnson. That's a little bit easier for me to, to wrap my head around. What's going on, Justin? Uh, not much. Good to be here. I really appreciate you guys both being here. Uh, the idea to sort of have you guys was pitched as it is PTSD Awareness Month. And obviously, as Director of Veteran Services at Hopeway, you do a lot of wor- uh, work around PTSD. Um, but also, we, as we recently covered at Queen City Nerve, you guys are also undergoing a, a big expansion at Hopeway in general, and that's why I wanted to have you as well, Allison, to sort of get it all covered, because I've always been interested in the work you all do at Hopeway, and uh, it's obviously very important work. We do a lot of mental health coverage, but we haven't really do- dove deep on Hopeway, and I think this is a great opportunity to do it. Um, so before we sort of get into y'all's backgrounds and whatnot, let's Let's just start with what that is. What what is what Hopeway does on a day to day basis? Great. So Hopeway is a Joint Commission accredited nonprofit mental health treatment center with multiple locations, and we are expanding into adolescent and young adult treatment. We focus on serving uh, the community for folks who have depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, trauma, PTSD, as Dr. Johnson will mention today. And um, we've we're now in our six and a half year of serving the community. We um, have the whole continuum of care from residents care to a day programs to our outpatient practice which is near South Park Mall on Carnegie Boulevard and um, we historically when we opened started serving adults um, 18 and above uh, per the North Carolina licensure status and we're going to bring our model down to high schoolers and middle schoolers uh, so we're really really excited and have you been there throughout those six and a half years or when did you arrive yes I was um, actually recruited from California Mm. to come to Charlotte and uh, bring this dream to reality oh that's awesome so it's been a really amazing um, Mm -hmm. endeavor and um, have an amazing team we have done so much in the last seven Seven years since I've been here, and um, even through the pandemic, have really been able to save lives and really do some really great work mm-hmm. um, that we're very proud of. Absolutely, and that, I mean, we're going to obviously dive into that—the whole pandemic uh, effect. But uh, it's just your work, the work that organizations like Hopeway do, just became that much more important, and it was important for you guys to be here during that time, and we'll get into that. Um, Tell me a little bit before we uh, introduce Justin, we'll just talk a little bit about what your background was leading up to that. You just told us you got recruited from California. What were you doing in the lead up to arriving here? Sure. So um, I came to North Carolina in 2001 from Chicago Mm -hmm. to do my residency at Duke and um, had an amazing, you know, experience there. I then... um, furthered my education and got a degree in forensic psychiatry. So I was working um, at UNC Chapel Hill doing forensic work, which I actually still do um, some to this day. And um, then I started working at Fellowship Hall, which is a drug and alcohol treatment center in Greensboro, and um, really 
became interested in the intersection between mental health and substance use disorders and the need to treat both um, issues concurrently to help prevent relapse. Mm. And so I was um, actually recruited out to California to start up and lead the medical practices for a um, large for-profit addiction uh, recovery program. Mm. And so really through that experience, um, gained, uh, you know, really great experience in looking at the medical issues, the psychiatric issues, and the substance use issues that can kind of plague many of many of our Americans, mm-hmm. and how to best treat that in a recovery model, which then we brought to Charlotte to put in the mental health arena. Okay. And um, how big of a role does that uh, addiction treatment play in, in what Hopeway does now? Because obviously you guys have much broader services. Yeah, so actually Hopeway is a primary mental health facility, mm-hmm. and so the primary diagnosis is usually a mood disorder, say major depressive disorder mm-hmm. or bipolar disorder, um, also PTSD or mm-hmm. schizophrenia. But we know that many of these individuals have co-occurring substance use disorders, whether it's cannabis use disorder, alcohol use disorder, opiate use disorder. And so we really do aim to treat the whole person mm-hmm. so that you're at a, you know, um, improved chance to, to maintain recovery, both for your mental health issue and your addiction. Absolutely. And what, as, as CEO, sort of top... Top dog, how much of a, on a day-to-day are you hands-on with, with clients, or is it more of a management role or a mixture of the two? Yeah, it's grown more into a leadership role, mm. um, but I do still maintain a small caseload, so I just saw one of my favorite patients today oh, and awesome. um, really love seeing seeing folks, and so I'm really looking forward to growing our child and adolescent program and hopefully being helpful in that arena as well. Absolutely, yeah. I, I imagine that sort of drives you and would be depressing to to have to give up patients in general. It's sort of how I feel about reporting. Like I can't just be editor in chief. Like I have to continue to report. Absolutely. Um, I, I love seeing patients and I, and I know what we do at Hopeway really does save lives. And so meeting with folks and maintaining their stability through a treatment plan that works for them is just, um, nothing, there's nothing more rewarding. Yeah, absolutely. So Justin, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you, uh, found yourself in this work, how you got here to Hopeway. Sure. Um, so I, I, I grew up in southeastern North Carolina, uh, if you can't tell by my accent, mm-hmm. uh, and then went to Baltimore and Boston for residency and medical school and moved back to North Carolina. And I was work. I actually, after I finished my residency, I joined the Army Reserve. So I grew up sort of around a military community in Fayetteville near Fort Bragg, now Fort Liberty. Um, joined the Army Reserves, and then I started working at the Durham VA and just got very interested in military, veteran, mental health, and I was very happy working uh, there at the Durham VA um, until the opportunity came up here at Hopeway, where um, I was very fortunate to be chosen as the director of the new veterans program at Hopeway. So I've been working here since 2020, you know, mm-hmm. helping build the program that's specific for veterans that we'll talk about more today, um, and just continuing to you know, publish and speak and think mm-hmm. about like how we can do better to take care of you know, military members and veterans. Right, absolutely. And as I mentioned at the top, uh, maybe we recorded a few different intros. I'll be transparent about that. But I think I mentioned at the top in the one that we're going to keep that uh, it is PTSD Awareness Month, and that's sort of what got you in here. Um, do you place a lot of value on that just – Honestly speaking, just in terms of like if someone says that the normal person who's not involved in the field might say, oh, well, yeah, it's Pride Month and it's probably 10 other months. But do you with I know you guys are sort of that's what got you out here and you make a push for awareness and publicity during this month. Does that feel like it's a makes a big difference here in June that you guys are able to make uh, impact yeah, I think I mean it's important. Campaigns, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I think campaigns like that are incredibly important. 
um, just because, you know, mental illness in general, I mean, or as Dr. Kane will talk about it, particularly among young people, I mean, it's a, there's a, a bit of a crisis or a pandemic of mental illness in, in the country, uh, and, and particularly around PTSD, when I work with veterans, where PTSD is probably overrepresented compared to non-veterans, mm-hmm. uh, many veterans, you know, there may be a stigma around it and have a difficult time coming to ask for help. And so I think the more we can do to, you know, raise awareness about it and mm-hmm. to try to help reduce the stigma can help get people into treatment, which ultimately uh, helps save lives. Absolutely. And so let's talk, I think, as you just mentioned, you know, Mental health, mental illness. I think one of the biggest obstacles, and we talk about it a lot, is the stigma that surrounds it. And it's one of those things that both of you must have an experience with. Just like it must feel so overwhelming at times because it's it's unclear how to battle stigma. If that makes sense, it's almost sort of like racism, where it's like you're not going to find many people who are just passing the street and be like, "Yeah, I don't." I look down on people with mental illness. I, I carry that stigma. Like they're not going to just admit that openly, but it's more of a subconscious thing. I mean, does it ever, I mean, what are the keys? This is a broad sort of existential question, but I mean, how do you fight something that's so set in subconsciously that people won't 99% of the time even admit to or, or know or be aware of? I think this is a lot of work which we do in, in communications and with education in the community, whether it's in churches or schools or um, wherever, is to normalize the conversation. That these are brain diseases just like ADHD or Alzheimer's or a neurological issue, and there should be no differentiation between your physical and your mental wellness, just as we would treat people for diabetes or hypertension or cancer, uh, we need to acknowledge that all of our families are struggling, whether it's addiction or depression or anxiety or trauma, ADHD, cognitive problems. I mean, these challenges are surrounding us. And the more we can be open to say that, you know, one in four Americans in their lifetime may struggle with one of these challenges, and the more we normalize it, the better we can be to get help and to to really make it um, where folks are not having those issues. And I think if you look at the younger generations, they're so much better at this. Mm-hmm. Um, I went and spoke at my kids' school one year, a few years back, and you know the, the younger kids will just talk about it. Yeah, I, I've gone to a therapist, and mm-hmm. I see a psychiatrist, and my psychiatrist got me right. And, right. Um, and they're, they're proud of it. They're, they don't care. Right. Um, and so it's our awkwardness um, about not talking about it and being um, quiet about that that leads to the stigma. And so we try and talk about it whenever we can and to try and be open with our clients, our community, our children, our families. And um, it's just really important that we try and normalize these diseases just like any other medical problem. Right. And uh, Dr. Johnson, I'll, I'm going to steal your nickname for her, Dr. K, so that I'm not just I feel faux pas when I'm not calling you guys doctor, but I also didn't want to just continue repeating the names over and over. So, Dr. Johnson, tell me a little bit specifically in the PTSD field how that how that sort of integrates this, that same sort of stigma and how, yeah. how it's same and how it's different. Okay. And also just to comment on that and reducing mm-hmm. stigma, some you know, experience from working in the military, I worked a lot with high-functioning military people, mm-hmm. so that would be like infantry, infantry soldiers or special operations forces. 
these are people who are very high achieving soldiers. And, and one way we try to reduce the stigma around is to present it as like, you know, this is a way to make you better. Like mm-hmm. if you, if, if you have, if you're mentally well, you're actually going to do better at your job as a soldier. It would be equivalent to, you know, here in Charlotte, a lot of successful financial people. I think there's a growing awareness of actually, if I stay on top of my mental health, I'm actually going to do better at work or, have, you know, be more present for my family and be more present with my children. And so it's thinking of it not as like a weakness or um, like a disability so much as actually this is going to help me you know, to live a life that's more meaningful, essentially. Right. So try to come at it from that angle, almost like I think everybody would benefit from you know, therapy. Mm-hmm. I think of it almost like primary care for our mental state. Mm-hmm. All of us would benefit from you know, being more aware of our emotions and things like that. So I come from, you know, I think that's an experience that we apply in the military that I also apply at Hopeway too. And then you re- repeat the question again about the, that's sort of what I was okay. asking about, okay. just the stigma and how it differs in the uh, in the PTSD world, and and that makes sense in the military. Do you? I know it's called veteran services. Do you all treat um, work with PTSD patients outside of uh, veteran related? Yes. Yeah. yeah. We PTSD. You know, Hopeway well before the veterans program was started. Okay. It takes care of and people do very well with PTSD. Mm-hmm. Uh, coming in the general non-veteran program. Yeah, because I think a lot of people don't really understand that. Um, and, and the counter, actually, our veterans program is not just limited to veterans struggling mm-hmm. with PTSD. So we see a good amount of, frankly, any veteran struggling with any mental health concern mm-hmm. should look us up and give us a call because right. we're pretty broad. We, we do have a specialized PTSD uh, track, but we also take care of really any veteran struggling with oh, okay. any, any mental illness. Gotcha. Um, and just in terms of... Uh, Oh yeah, Th- those numbers. I don't think a lot of people realize how common PTSD outside. You know, everyone relates it sort of to uh, veterans, mm-hmm. and and maybe rightfully so. But does just in terms of like car crashes and things that people don't realize can really lead to PTSD. I mean, how often do you all? Uh, I know you're focused mainly on veterans, but how often do you all, as an organization? see people struggling with PTSD for any range of reasons. Every day. I mean, people come to us with trauma from several different things, whether it's um, sexual assault, Mm -hmm. um, molestation when they were younger by, you know, a stranger or a family member, car accidents, Mm. um, national disasters. Um, We also have treated um, police and firefighters who are also vulnerable to the trauma of of the work that they see every single day. Um, So PTSD is not limited to our veterans um, and our first responders, but really we see people all the time that have underlying trauma. In fact, many of our patients do. And so that's a big component of what we do in our group therapy and in our our individual therapy is working through those traumas. Mm -hmm. Do you all, this is just a random uh, thought because I hear them talk about it on like WTF podcast sometimes. Do you all do that treatment? I'm going to sound so ignorant because I can't remember the name of it. That's sort of like... Uh, EMDR? Yes, that's it. <laughs> I knew that's what you were Yeah. Wondering. Do you guys do that? any of that? We do, Hopeway? yes. Okay. Yep. So we have we actually have Super two, interesting. two primary therapists who are, tra- who are EMDR certified and trained, mm-hmm. so we do offer that. How does that, just for folks who haven't heard of it, how does that... What's the model behind that? Yeah, sure. Uh, I do want to make one point back earlier about no, veterans. Yeah. Though, that I want to I always want to highlight that most veterans, mm-hmm. though even veterans who've been in combat, do not develop PTSD. Right. So I just don't. I don't want to want people to think that every veteran you know is going to develop PTSD. Mm-hmm. Most people are resilient, mm-hmm. and most people who go through traumatic things don't develop a mental illness and don't develop PTSD. I just always like to point that out because mm-hmm. sometimes there could be a bit of a stigma in the opposite direction where people think all veterans are are crazy or have mental illness. Mm -hmm. But most, most, you know, probably Mm -hmm. 75% or more, 
even if you've been in combat, don't mm-hmm. develop PTSD. Right, right. So that's always just a str- – I think it's a reflection of, like, the strength and resilience of us mm-hmm. as people. Um, and then the question about EMDR, you, how it works. Mm. So I, I don't think we really know how it works. Right. Um, but it's sort of the gist of, you know, and I'm not an EMDR trained mm. therapist okay. myself, but the general idea is you talk about – the trauma you'd been through, so you process it and mm. sort of work your way through it while you also move your eyes back and forth, either focusing on some like a moving object mm. or um, usually the therapist has something that moves back and forth. And something about that eye movement distracts parts of your brain while you're processing through the trauma that then help you to get better, right. essentially. Um, it sounds like a grift <laughs> to people yeah. who are out of, the, out of the know, I guess, but I've listened to so many... I've just heard so many people talk about it, and everyone who's had an experience with it has had, it seems, successful that I've heard. Yeah, it can be very successful. But there are also other therapies Mm -hmm. that that we offer at Hopeway that have been proven to help in PTSD. So, Mm -hmm. you know, PTSD is complex, just like most mental illnesses, and that therapy might not be perfect for everybody. So if you have listeners out there who maybe have tried EMDR and didn't get better, they shouldn't give up hope. Right. So like at Hopeway, we offer cognitive processing therapy, prolonged exposure therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy. These are just a few of several therapies that have been proven to help people with PTSD. And so I wouldn't... about sort of consulting and learning what's right for each... Yep. And that's what we will do when the veterans mm-hmm. come through the program. Right. And I imagine that's similar to treatment of any any uh, condition. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. I think that's what's hard for folks is they may have tried a medication or have seen a therapist that maybe didn't help. Mm-hmm. Um, but really looking at the model where Hopeway provides everything at the table. So what I like to say is, as a trained psychiatrist, if, you know, I were to have depression, what were all, what would be all of the things that I would want to do that I know per the evidence works, Mm -hmm. right? So you want to consider medication management, individual therapy, exercise, nutrition, uh, making sure your support system is stable, making sure your sleep is stable. I mean, these are all very important things. And so if you have one of those things off, it can actually, you know, derail things. So being under the care at Hopeway, we look at all of those things. And in addition, have a group therapy model as well. And so that you're, you're tackling it from different angles because something might work for one person that doesn't work for another person. Mm-hmm. And music therapy may speak to me, but horticultural therapy may speak to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, just learning coping skills. When people leave Hopeway, it's amazing to me that they say, you know, before I really had difficulty managing my anger or I... Um, I didn't know what to do when I got anxious and mm-hmm. I just shut down and would sleep. Mm-hmm. But now I have coping skills that I learned at Hopeway and it's it's a testament to the therapists that we have that are teaching these people all of these therapies every day. Right. And just in terms of you, you had mentioned that you worked at the VA, was it in Virginia? Uh, in Durham. Durham, North Carolina. Oh, okay. mm-hmm. um, so even closer by, but I... Do you find, and you're still in the Army Reserve, I don't expect you to be too hypercritical or anything, but how do you find the differences? Do you find that the VA is just short-staffed? I've just heard a lot of things just in terms of like, do you think the VA is providing the care that it should be, I guess? Yeah, I mean, obviously the VA is like any, it's the largest healthcare system in the country. Uh, and like most hospitals, particularly around mental health, they might not always be able to get people in as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. So, you know, interesting thing was working at the Durham VA. I was right across the street from Duke. I actually still have a faculty appointment at Duke. And the Durham VA would get tons of negative coverage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Duke, you know, you gets pretty universally positive coverage, mm-hmm. even though it was the same doctors and pretty similar oh, right. clinics. And so part of me... 
there actually is this idea out there, I think, that spread that the VA has terrible health care. It's like which, a narrative. That's right. Which actually now. studies have shown is not tr- not right. the case, that the VA actually offers better health care than most health systems. Mm-hmm. There was a grand rounds at Duke about three years ago about that topic. Now, that being said, obviously, individual veterans, I mean, I've worked at the VA. I'm in the Army. I've, you know, I know some, there are lots of problems to improve there, but I think the VA does a very good job at working you know to try to meet the demand for mental health services but interestingly actually like if you look at veteran suicide sixty uh, percent of veterans who who complete suicide weren't enrolled in the VA at all mm-hmm. and so honestly some people might say well that you know maybe not enough people go to the VA and mm-hmm. um, so yeah my experience was pretty positive have you had experience here in the Charlotte one I drive by there sometimes shout out to Nana Morrison's one of my favorite restaurants it's right near okay. there uh, and it's just such a huge hospital, and everyone yeah. talks about Novant and Atrium, but yeah. I don't even feel like people know that exists over there. Yeah, well, it's not a full hospital. I don't right. think it's an outpatient clinic. But looks like one, I guess. Yeah, I it's say. huge. I don't know. Yeah, yeah I, you know, I haven't been there as a patient myself, but we get lots of pe- veterans from there. So, mm-hmm. like Hopeway, we are what's called a, a community care partner. So we take referrals from okay. the VA. Mm-hmm. That's what um, I was curious about. And huh? so we work collaboratively with mm-hmm. them every day. Okay, and how does that? Um, I, I, I don't know really how to word it because I'm just sort of working it out in my head as I say it. But how does that sort of look in terms of VA if they have, you know, are are filled up or they already work with um, – do they provide care themselves or do they just sort of outsource? Yeah, no, they provide tons of care. Okay. They provide inpatient, outpatient. They have residentials. They have right. partial hospital programs. But there's a bigger demand at many VAs mm. than – they can meet, especially in a place like Charlotte, which is one of the fastest growing cities in the country, especially for veterans. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of veterans move here and live here already. Right. And so if if there's a veteran who you know, can't get in timely enough at the VA or the VA doesn't offer the program, and so the specific program we offer is pretty unique and it's not really offered in most VAs. Um, That's or, what I was sort of getting at. How, yeah. how does the treatment differ uh, when someone is referred to you all, what is it at the VA that makes a doctor say this person could benefit from Hopeway? Yeah, I guess I could tell you about a little about the program. Mm-hmm. So it's the the veterans program is built off of the already well-established general program at Hopeway, which involves, do you want to talk about that? Dr. No, Tan? go ahead. Okay. Um, involves robust group therapy. So mm-hmm. I've worked at a lot of different hospitals in Massachusetts and Baltimore at UNC at Duke. Um, and I've never seen a more robust group therapy program than at Hopeway. And so we have horticulture therapy, music therapy, art therapy, yoga, meditation, nutrition, recreation therapy, uh, pet therapy, equine therapy, uh, chaplain and spiritual support. Really just a very robust group therapy program. Like Dr. Kayan mentioned, you know, everybody can find something in there that they can get benefit from. In addition, everybody is seen by a veteran tra- a, a therapist who with expertise in veteran mental health, and they he sees them at least once a week. Sometimes it's multiple times a week for one-on-one therapy. That's very unique. Absolutely. I've never heard of a residential program where they do multiple times a week of one-on-one therapy in addition to the other groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the therapy he offers are the evidence-based proven therapies for PTSD that the VA and the American Psychological Association, every major organization recommends for PTSD. In addition to that, everybody gets seen. I'm usually their primary psychiatrist, uh, and so I would be their medical doctor, and you can adjust medicines if they need those. Everybody gets an internal medicine doctor who sees them so we can handle like basic medical problems like blood pressure, diabetes. Um, so it's a really holistic program, and we have a team. We meet regularly. 
and that's pretty unique. Um, you know, some, and, and that's not, they don't have that at most VA. Mm-hmm. So if, if somebody was looking for that, it could be appropriate to be referred right. outside of the Absolutely. VA. Where do you turn to stay in touch with the city around you? Broadcast news isn't what it used to be. And commercial radio doesn't scratch that itch. If only there was one place you could get it all. When you want, wherever you want, on your schedule, there is the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city on your schedule at queencitypodcastnetwork.com and everywhere you get your podcasts. And Dr. KM... In terms of, let's have the COVID discussion before we go into, because I think that sort of is what led to this recent expansion into more youth treatment, uh, but correct me if I'm wrong, we'll, we'll get into that expansion. But let's talk about the COVID situation and, and what you all witnessed, whether it be in veteran services or just wholesale. Uh, what, when did it become evident that, you know, this was, I mean, I, I guess it seems obvious in, force, in hindsight, but... Uh, when did it become obvious that folks were really str- were going to struggle here with this? Yeah, so during the pandemic, uh, we we knew folks were struggling, and it was affecting every family. However, it wasn't until you know a little bit of time out where you could actually study things and get data that looked at the rates of the ER utilization or the rates of suicide or the rates of opiate overdose. Um, and so once we got some of that community, statewide, national data, you could actually see that the pandemic made things more challenging, mm-hmm. both in increasing new diagnoses and also in increasing the acuity of pre-existing diagnoses. And so we saw an increase in depression, anxiety, trauma, domestic violence, you know, mm-hmm. was was increased during the pandemic. Um, child abuse. I've absolutely. Heard a story about that with Pat's place. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, think about it. You have people that are normally going to work, going to school. Now they're all under one roof. I don't know how we all survive right, yeah. when you've got, you know, marital challenges and kids challenges and then multiple kids and then trying to work from home, you know, everybody being under one roof is not what we're used to. And so it's just a setup for um, challenges. And so I think we're seeing now that various things really did get worse during the pandemic. JAMA actually um, noted that the the rise in eating disorders uh, has doubled since right. the pandemic. We saw a utilization rise um, in our local emergency departments for children who were having suicidal ideation or tried to attempt suicide. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking young kids, 12 years old. Um, and so now that we have that data, we actually, you know, are in a mental health emergency. And so recently the the children's mental health uh, was actually declared in a joint communication by the American Academy of Pediatrics, the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, and the Children's Hospital Association as a national emergency. Mm-hmm. So we've been getting calls for kids since we've opened our doors in 2016. Um, and at that time, we were a startup. We had not even had one patient until November of 2016. And so we needed to establish ourselves and know what we were doing and how we were doing it and and looking at outcomes to know what we were doing was working. Mm -hmm. And so the pandemic actually um, stalled our expansion services because we, we wanted to go down into 
child and adolescent care. You know, we know that our youth need these services, and there's just not enough services to go around. I mean, we we could open several different places, and 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 still the need would be overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So. Right now, Novant and Atrium do have day programs, so we're going to be adding to that capacity. Um, several of those have very long wait lists. Uh, could be two months in some of those programs. Wow. Um, and so we'll be doubling the amount of beds, per se, um, in our um, middle school and high school programs, which is going to be awesome. Right. We also, in Charlotte and in the East Coast, have um, really uh, a gap in excellent care for eating disorders. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we brought Dr. Greer Mitchell uh, from Duke as well after she graduated to Charlotte, who's now our specialist in eating disorders and disordered eating. And she'll be also opening a, a day program arm in this new program for folks with eating disorders, not just middle school and high schoolers, but also young adults. Mm-hmm. So if we're looking at all of the mental health issues, you know, we really want to be, you know, the community resource and the center of excellence for everything from depression to bipolar disorder to anorexia. Um, And I'm so proud of the staff that we have because we have the medical leadership to make that happen. Right. And when you say day program, what does that look like? Is that inpatient or... Yeah, so the day program is not inpatient. Okay. It's from I'll say like eight thirty in the morning till four o'clock at in the afternoon. It'll kind of be like going day. to school, yeah, right. and um, you'll go home at night. And so the kids will come to us and go to group therapy. They'll have an individual therapist. They'll have an individual psychiatrist. We'll incorporate family therapy into the weekly routine, exercise, nutrition, as well as school. And so mm-hmm. there will be a mandatory two to three hours of school every day so that they can keep up with their academics. Right. And that way, if you have a middle schooler who's, um, you know, in a certain math class, they can keep up with that, that educational piece so that when they go back to school, they don't have, um, you know, to retake that class or to be pushed graduation out six months. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really important because a lot of folks are um, nervous to kind of get care because they don't want to stall education. And at the end of the day, nothing is more important than your wellness. I mean, right. these diseases are deadly. And we've seen too many suicides in our community um, and nationally um, and that we really need to intervene as early as we can with these kids. I and was blown away it's doing crazy. research for, yeah. this, uh, for, for, for this podcast and just some of these numbers. I mean, that I just, I knew, I, I know that suicide is such a huge issue, but it's just so much bigger than you imagine with, you know, second leading cause of death. I think I knew that, but... To see some of these stats in terms of ideation, 22% of students reported having seriously considered attempted suicide during the past year alone. Um, We talked earlier that it's Pride Month this month. It's worthy to note that that rises to 48% for LGBT kids that are high school students. I mean, 48% is just... That's That's, one in two kids. Yeah, and when you talk about these wait lists, that's terrifying. It's terrifying. And so... um, you know, we are not a hospital, we are not a mm-hmm. locked unit, and so there will be children who will need to go to the emergency department if there's acute suicidality or self-injurious behavior. Um, but we know that these these diseases can be stabilized. Mm-hmm. And so there is hope that your child who, that may be struggling with ADHD or bipolar disorder or depression or anxiety can live a normal life just like any other child mm-hmm. as long as they receive the care that they need. And it's just like cancer. You want to intervene early, you want to be aggressive, and you want to be on top of things because, um, you know, things can spiral pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just, it's it can be really devastating to families. Right. And this is something that obviously, as much as LGBTQ kids, it's also veterans see suicide. The stats just jump skyrocket. Um, and I don't necessarily have a, 
question for you for that other than to just to say uh does that also come with its own why don't people know these stats more i guess yeah well i also want to comment so i feel like people sometimes talk about veterans and they think it's a different group of people but right. veterans are the same young people that dr cam's talking about mm-hmm. so you know again i'm in the army right now and most soldiers are the ages of 18 to 24 so these are young people and i think many of them struggle with similar things that dr cam was talking about mm-hmm. because it's they're America's young people. That's mm-hmm. the same people. That's who the recruits are drawn from. Um, and interestingly, like the highest suicide rates among veterans in the past two to three years has been in 18 to 34-year-old veterans. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a reflection of Dr. Cam's point about the broader mental health crisis among young people, and that's true even in veterans. So I think people mm-hmm. sometimes think veteran, they think like a 75-year-old man. Right. Uh, but increasingly, we have younger and younger veterans, particularly from the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. And every day we're going to have more veterans because mm-hmm. we're always bringing in new recruits. Um, so I think that's an important point to think about. Mm-hmm. And do you think that um, there is a – that it adds to the stigma of, like, that sort of pride? It People don't seek help in certain situations because of that pride of, like, we are troops. We're supposed to be resilient. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that comes up a lot, particularly mm-hmm. among some types of – soldiers you mm-hmm. know particularly you know, there's jobs like infantrymen which is a you know, the person whose job is to go shoot things and not mm-hmm. kick down doors um they can be more difficult to get to engage in mental health treatment mm-hmm. um, although interestingly many of them are there's protective factors they have camaraderie and a sense of like group cohesion that actually protects them um that probably speaks a little more to i think dr k mentioned earlier about there's things beyond just like taking a medicine that can help with mental health uh, and so like camaraderie and having a sense of a purpose, having a connection to other people, uh, those are things that, uh, you know, I think protect some of the same types of like soldiers that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. That's interesting you mentioned that because I think that is uh, a big part of why we saw such an increase. And I'm speaking as a non-expert, obviously, but I feel the need to say it. But I think that probably plays a big role into what happened during COVID, that people lost their their networks uh, or at least lost physical uh Connection. Being in, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then it was a process getting back to that. And it, and it was overwhelming for some people. Um, and so as we're moving forward, I think the importance of positive connections is, is just – you can't even understate it. Mm-hmm. Um, having people that you can trust and go to and feel like you can be yourself with um, is just really important. And, you know, all of these things affect everybody, whether you're a police officer, a physician, a nurse – uh, a veteran, a middle schooler, and, you know, people are scared mm-hmm. and they don't want to be judged, right? So you right. feel like when you're going to see somebody for mental health treatment, you're you're being judged, but that's not accurate. You know, our job as physicians, number one, is to make sure you're safe um, and that whatever medical or psychiatric issue is going on, we can help you game plan how to get better. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just really a privilege to be able to serve the community and now going into child and adolescent care. Um, just, uh, you know, I'm so excited. Right. Absolutely. And you had mentioned earlier, uh, spoke a bit about a big part of this expansion is eating disorders, uh, t- treatment for eating disorders. And that was sort of the more, when I read about the expansion, some of the stats around it, when you guys announced a couple of months ago, uh, that was one of the more just sort of surprising ones. Some of, the, some of these things are more, um, in hindsight, obvious, I guess you could say, for lack of a better term, uh, but, or, or the connection is, is there. But what do you think it was about that, that caused this great spike in, in 
eating disorders? Was it just anxiety driven or? There is a lot of anxiety under it, but also um, there's this strive for for perfection. Mm -hmm. And we can see kids, men and women, struggling with that with online social media and comparing yourself and your body to other people. So Um, that wasn't even necessarily COVID directly related. It was more, you think, with social media? Probably more indirectly because Mm. you're more isolated. So if you're not going to sports every day or school every day and you have more time online, Mm. you know, these kids went from maybe an hour or two of social media a day to like eight hours or 12 hours. Just obsessive. And so, you know, this 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 constant barrage of like the perfect person, the perfect body, the perfect house, the perfect vacation, right. um, and nobody's showing what life really looks like. It's setting people up for this like fantasy world, um, and so you know, very high achieving people who are striving for perfection want their bodies to be perfect too, and this issue of having no body fat or visible body fat um, is really a struggle for some of our kids, Um, boys and girls. I remember thigh gap was like a trend just like four years ago. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, That's really interesting. I don't, I I hadn't made that connection to uh, just social, COVID or not, just the social media craze is just, uh, I mean, you, you being in that field, how often do you guys... Do you have like, I don't know, specifics? I guess every patient is obviously very different and every person has their own recommendations or something. But do you guys battle a lot with like having to tell people, I don't know, recommend getting off social media or taking breaks or limiting time to a certain amount? Yes. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, many physicians will, will talk about that because um, it's disrupting our kids' sleep patterns. Mm. You know, these kids are on video games or watching television or Netflix or playing um, whatever uh, till 2 o'clock in the morning and mm. then getting up for school at 7 o'clock. Um, so we really do need to have boundaries around the use of technology, whether you're allowing your child certain hours or they're not allowed in the bedroom or at night everybody gives them in at 10 o'clock, um, you know, not using them during dinner time. I mean, simple things. And to be honest, we're, we're all struggling with that. My kids mm-hmm. do that. So how do you actually implement that on a day-to-day basis when you've got maybe two working families or even one? That's even harder. If mm-hmm. I couldn't even imagine if right, I was trying yeah. to do this alone. Um, so setting boundaries is hard. Mm-hmm. And it's like exercise, right? We all know we need to exercise and maybe we don't do it as much as we should. Mm-hmm. So putting together a plan that is um, sustainable, reasonable, agreed upon with the kids um, is going to be a piece of this puzzle as well so that we can try and, you know, work through some of these challenges. Right. And I went camping this past weekend and we were in a dead zone, just no service whatsoever. And it was like, I mean, I'm 36. I didn't grow up with social media by any means. I grew up with AOL Messenger was about the the extent of it. But I've I still felt it like I didn't even grow up with it, but I still have that Twitter addiction where I'm just like, what is going on? Like well, for the last three days, I've been just in this campsite. That. It's, you know, not knowing people's phone numbers mm-hmm. or, you know, on the way here, I thought, oh my God, I hope I didn't leave my phone on my desk. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't even know where I was going. Right. So we rely on these things for everything, mm-hmm. you know, from ordering food to texting our families to looking um, at, you know, Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or whatever. Um and it's just, it's it's too much. We, right. we really, as a society, need to come together and figure out how to get through this. Absolutely. Um, are you seeing any 
it seems like from some of the stats, I mean, some of these stats are just from the last literal year. Are you seeing any sort of bell curve and writing uh, uh, of the ship or things in terms of like out coming out of the pandemic, if you will? And I'm, I know that it's still very much active, but just in terms of lockdowns and things like that, have you seen a, a, going the opposite way in terms of spikes in, in numbers that you did see during the pandemic? No, I, no. I think we're still rising. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we won't even know for several years what the full effect of all of this was on mm-hmm. our families. Um, unfortunately, you know, hope I get so many calls a day, we can't even get to everybody in a, in a single day. Mm. Um, I was wow. actually helping with some of the admissions calls a week or two ago because we have so many people that need help. Um, and, um, it, it's it's really it's really hard. Mm-hmm. Where do you? This is just completely out of left field, but uh, just something I was wondering when you were speaking earlier. But where do you guys get your funding? Is it state funding, federal grant? So we're a nonprofit, and mm-hmm. so we um, we do have strong support from the community. We also have um, a grant right now um, for our health equity program from the county to help uh, with our partnership with the Novant Foundation team um, to serve our folks in our community that do not have insurance mm-hmm. and don't have access to this type of care. So uh, we are now we now have psychiatrists in the Michael Jordan Clinic and the Hope Community Clinics to help those without insurance. Um, so we do have some county grants. We have family grants, family foundations, corporate giving. Um, so if anybody's listening to this today and mm-hmm. wants to support Hopeway, even if it's $5, $10, every dollar matters um, to save the lives of, of our community members, um, please just check out our website, um, join our newsletter, keep in touch. Um, you can always call our admissions department. Our admissions team is staffed with licensed clinical counselors. And so if there's an acute crisis, they can kind of give you guidance as to what to do. Um, if Hopeway is not the answer, we refer people every day to other mm-hmm. places. Maybe you have a primary substance use disorder and you may need to go to Fellowship Hall or Pavilion or Dilworth Center. Um, you know, and so we're just one of the many people trying to help folks in the community. And so working with our community partners, you know, with Atrium and Novant and the VA um, and, you know, even Duke and UNC, I've had folks that we've had a transition all the way up into Chapel Hill to admit on the inpatient unit at UNC. Um, you know, we work with Novant Atrium for folks that need ECT or other, you know, life-saving therapeutic technologies. So it's just, it's a really, it's a community effort. Mm-hmm. And um, all of us are just trying to, to fill the gaps that exist. And do you, do your psychiatrists see many folks at that Michael Jordan uh, clinic? Yeah, we have three psychiatrists there now. Oh, wow. So when we started, uh, Dr. Mara, who's our director of medical services, was going over there. And now Dr. Christy Rag and Dr. Taryn Coley are, are going. Dr. Coley is board certified in child and adolescent psychiatry. So she's mm. now seeing kids over there, which is awesome. Okay, great. And yeah, that's uh, one of those things where the news cycle, it gets caught up in it where it's like we report on the opening. And then like a year later, I'm like, I hope people are going. Like, yes, I hope that's yes. making an impact. It's making a huge impact. Mm-hmm. And we have scholarship programs too. And so working with the Novant Foundation and with the county ARPA funding, um, we're able to really extend Hopeway's service offerings to those that don't even have insurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, another just left field question that struck me earlier when you were discussing saying that you, uh, talking to Dr. Johnson, mentioned uh, that you just, you know, out of hand uh, recommend that anybody s- go to therapy. It's just helpful in life in general. What are y'all's thoughts on this? Um, I don't want to call it a trend. These, these uh, better help and, and phone 
just sort of phone in, not not quite as personal type things that are really growing in popularity now. Do you think? Do you find those very helpful in in sort of that more minor, just sort of dealing with day to day issues kind of thing? Yeah. So I guess what I was saying earlier is I think therapy is good for anybody because right. it helps to understand yourself and to talk through things. Um, I don't have much experience with those apps. I know I know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people have used them. I mean, I imagine it's a good resource because it's so difficult to find therapists and psychiatrists to find mental health treatment. And mm-hmm. so anything we can do to increase access is probably a good thing. Right. And uh, using technology to do that virtually seems like a great idea. Right. Um, I actually was a little, uh, what's the word, skeptical of them all. And then I had a friend who had called uh, to try to, you know, talk to someone about some things that were very sort of more serious and they turned him down and said, you need to go to a real therapist. Okay. And like a, and I actually found that to be sort of a more, huh. uh, gave me confidence in them that at least they're not just trying to tackle things that are out of their zone. Yeah, true. Well, I think there's some apps that can be helpful mm-hmm. if they're mindfulness apps mm-hmm. or, um, anxiety reducing apps, mm-hmm. um, exercise apps. Um, there's an app for, um, cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, which mm-hmm. can be really helpful. So I think it's also knowing like what apps can be helpful. Right. And so the way I look at it is if you have a broken arm and you want to get care, you're going to try and go to the best orthopedic person you can find. The same is true for psychiatry. Mm-hmm. And the psych- psychiatrist can then tell you, you know, maybe you just need therapy or maybe you would benefit from medication or maybe these apps would be helpful or maybe you need to see a sleep specialist or maybe you need to see a cardiologist. So we can help triage and kind of plan with people. And so um, that's another good reason to just see a physician so Mm -hmm. that, you know, you can actually get that guidance. Right. Um, So I really appreciate you guys coming in. I'm I'm trying to think if there's anything we haven't touched on. Is there anything that you guys... um, wanted to make sure to mention that we haven't really discussed yet? I think the biggest thing is just to to seek help, whether you go and talk to a loved one or your primary care doctor or your pediatrician or your pastor. Um, You know, everybody is struggling with something and you might not know it looking at them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you're not alone. Um, Please, you know, access care if you're listening to us today and you're struggling with anything that we've been talking about. Um, And please call us if we can be of help. Mm -hmm. And I I do have one other thing I wanted to touch on. But Dr. Johnson, is there anything that sort of in terms of your program or... Anything we haven't touched no, on? I think it's important to mention it. in PTSD Awareness Month. Um, no, um, I think you know we've we've covered most of it. Randomly, when we were talking earlier about social media uses, there's a great book I just finished called Digital Minimalism. Mm. Just for any listeners, of P- and the the premise is to help people to try to cut back on right uh, like social media use. So anyway, that's yeah, just, that's a good plug. I for might good check that out yeah. for sure. Um, and then I just sort of wanted to uh, the the one in five people that suffer from a mental health condition that that tells me that 100% of people know someone who who is suffering whether silently or or uh, outwardly what what are your recommendations for folks who want to sort of confront their own inherent bias around mental health and the stigma that that exists whether people want to admit it or not like how how can someone sort of get, sort of confront that within themselves or, or be a good, I, I hate to use the term ally because it, it's used for so many other aspects, but just be someone who can, who is there in a healthy way as opposed to turning the other cheek. I, you know, I think just look at it as you would see any other medical issue. Mm-hmm. If you were having 
uh, cardiac pain, you would go to a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're having pain, whether it's from depression or opiate use or anxiety, you need to go see a professional. Um, and, and really, the professional can then help you navigate what does that treatment plan look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just would say not to ignore those feelings because, you know, there's times in our lives when we all have struggles. And, um, you know, seeking help is not a weakness. Mm-hmm. Um, and these brain diseases do not discriminate. They can affect anybody. Genetics plays a strong role in this. So if you have parents who have anxiety or alcohol use disorder, you're at an increased risk. Um, And I think, you know, just talking about that and looking at ways to protect yourself is really the key. Absolutely. All right. Well, I really appreciate y'all both coming in. This was a very informative discussion. Um, And I'd love to come by and and check out the new campus or facility. Is it just going to be one building, two buildings? It's on Monroe Road, right? Yeah. So it's um, 4000 Monroe Road. It's Mm -hmm. at the intersection of Monroe and Wendover near the Home Depot. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be two buildings that connect in the middle. So there'll be one kind of check-in area. Um, And so, yeah, we would love for you to come see our space. And uh, right now the construction's going up. Yeah, set to open in fall, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. We're hoping Mm -hmm. the construction is completed by September and Mm -hmm. then we can get our licensure as well as solidify our insurance contracts great exciting and thank you both for the work that you do it's very important and uh i hope more more folks can learn more about it through this podcast but i appreciate you you coming on thank Thank you you. so much thanks guys cheers queencitypodcastnetwork.com